so today we're, uh, we're celebrating that and we're, we're continuing this conversation called Why Do We Sing? Um, baptism, that's a reason to sing. We, we, sh- we should entitle today's talk because of baptism, that's why we sing. But we've been uh, looking at this new topic, Why Do We Sing? And uh, we're going to spend a few more weeks in this. And this summer, we're, we're going to be looking at a new series called The Emotionally Healthy Church. And we're getting it from a book that was written uh, several years ago by a pastor in Queens, New York. Uh, his setting is somewhat similar to ours here. Multi-ethnic, multi-class, multi-generational. But he's talking about the emotionally healthy spirituality that uh, all of us can either experience or not be experiencing. And uh, he's going to use some really good portions of scripture and some uh, illustrations, such as the iceberg effect. Uh, We're all familiar with this, but like nine-tenths of the iceberg is actually beneath the surface. It's only that little portion just above the surface that's the one-tenth that we take notice of. And uh, Pastor Pete Scazzaro in his series is basically saying that we spend most of our lives focusing on that one-tenth, what people see out here. We're very busy, we're very accomplished, we have goals and we're driven and those sorts of things, yet we spend a little time focusing on our own spiritual health and our own emotional health. And so uh, by permission, I'm using his sermons and I'm using a lot of the, the kind of the the groundwork that they've done in this study, and we're going to be using that study. It's about a seven or eight week adventure we're going to take together, and uh, it, it's incredible. So really looking forward to that. So today, um, we're going to be looking at a passage here, Psalm 95, and this has been the classic text throughout the centuries that the church has gone to to sort of remind themselves, what is worship? Why do we do this? And how can we actually grow in being more skillful at it. Okay, so those are kind of the three things that we're going to try to discover in this text uh, this morning is what is worship, why should we do it, and how can we grow more skillfully in actually doing it? So how do you face troubles with peace? How do you face adversity with new energy to continue moving forward? How do you come out of a relationship that was painful, abusive, heartbreaking, and pick the pieces up and move forward with your life? How do you celebrate success without getting too big of a head? All of those would answer, it's through worship. It's through worship that that as we're going through suffering, it's through worship that we realize that even though I'm going through something horrific, my whole life is not destroyed. Even though my plans may have changed, not just a little, but a lot, from what I had envisioned and what I spent a lot of time planning out, detailed, that that's changed in some way. It's worship and worshiping a God who actually knows my future. That's what's going to lead me forward. So it's this text that's going to lead us in kind of helping map out a life full of that. What is worship? Why should we worship and how can we get better at it? Let me read it for us. Once again, it's found in Psalm 95, and we're going to focus on verses 1 through 7. It says, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, 
a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land, too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. Let us pray. Father, as we come to this portion in our service, our gathering, our worship gathering, we want to be those people that listen to your voice. So we invite you to speak. Remove me, the speaker, out of the way and let us hear your words of affirmation. Let us hear your invitation of calling us all into worship. Father, we want to be renewed and restored today. We want to come and bow down. We want to come and kneel before you, the Lord, our maker. Help us know what this even means. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Verse 1, verse 6, verse 8. They're doing uh, three things for us here. God is calling us to worship with Him, uh, worship Him with our emotions. And some of us who are more emotional, we're real excited to know that God is an emotional being and invites us to bring our emotions. He doesn't want it to be dry, doesn't want it to be just what we might know in our heads about God. However, it's not just the emotions that we're being invited to worship God with. Uh, verse 6 says that we're called into worship, uh, worshiping God with our will. Look at verse 6 there. It says to bow down. It says to kneel. This is willful submission. The verse 1 was where God was calling us to worship Him with our emotions. We're sing and shout for joy. That's emotional. Those are emotions. That passion that comes out, that's inside of you. And it comes out of you because it exists inside of God. We're being invited to uh, worship God with our emotions, but also with our will. Uh, Not being forced. You, You get that, right? You see that the psalmist isn't being forced into worship here. He's not doing some religious rite. He's not just uh, participating in some ceremony. It's Sunday. i got to go to church. i got to go do worship. It's willful submission. Just by the words he's using here. Bow down. Let us kneel. Willful submission. Verse 8, he's calling us to worship God with our reason. Yes, with our thinking. For those of us who are more intellectually minded, He's saying here in verse 8, hear his voice, which takes thinking and reasoning. And God is a thinking and reasoning being way, way beyond your understanding and my understanding. The psalmist would go on in a different psalm and say, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't attain to it. So it's your entire being. That's what worship is. If we wanted to say, what is worship? We could fill hours. We could write tons of books to fill up the entire world with what worship is. But in summary, I would say, worship includes your entire being. It includes your background. It includes your race. It includes your social class. It includes your hurt, your pain, your future dreams, your emotions, your intellect, all of who you are. Every part of your being. If you're 
not experiencing worship in the way that you would like to experience worship? Ask yourself. Ask yourself. What part of me is not involved fully in worship? Don't ask, what songs do we need to change? Hmm, I wish we had more of those type people in this congregation. So worship will begin to take on that sort of expression. Ask yourself, what part of me is not involved and fully engaged in meeting this God with my emotions, with my will, and with my intellect? It's possible to go to some ritual setting and really, really have this intellectual connection with God. Maybe you, maybe you hear something in a song or you hear something in a sermon or a talk and it really makes sense. And intellectually, it really begins to help you understand who God is. It's possible, however, to be in a setting like that and not be worshiping. It's possible. Like it's too cerebral. It's possible, conversely, to be in a setting where Everything is so full of expression and, and all of this that you're not really worshiping because it's just the emotions. And maybe it's divorce from uh, God wanting you to meet him in a way that you hadn't imagined or expected. Look at what the psalmist is doing, though. Look at what he's doing. And you say back, well, I see what he's doing. He's singing and shouting. Look at verse 3, though. Look at verse 3, says, for, or because, he's a great God. He's a great king above all gods. Verse 6, come let us bow down and kneel. Look at verse 7, for, shows up again. For he's our God and our shepherd. See, all, all of the emotion is coming from what the psalmist is doing. He's taking inventory. That's what you're doing when you worship. You're taking inventory about who this God is. Or we're distracted, and we're not taking inventory on who this God is, and we're missing God. Taking inventory. So thus, worship is an act of ascribing ultimate value on this being. Any dictionary is going to tell you that. Worship is ascribing, is attributing value to something or some, some person or some experience. And for the Christian, for the God follower, it's ascribing value as you take inventory of who God is. Right in the middle of your suffering. Right in the middle of your successes. Right in the middle of our, of our Sunday gathering. And for the psalmist, you can see exactly what he's doing here in verse 3 and verse 7. For he's a great God. He's a great king above all gods. He's our God. He's our shepherd. When you think of this illustration of a woman finding a piece of jewelry in her house. And this piece of jewelry that she's found, it's not as though she's found it for the first time. It was actually given to her by a distant relative who had received it from a distant relative who had received it from a distant relative. This piece of jewelry has been passed down and passed down for generations. However, this woman loses this piece of jewelry quite often. She doesn't know its worth. She has to search the house for it every now and then and wonder, how much is this thing really worth? Oh, probably nothing. Let me just go on about my day and forget about it. It's one day, though, that her curiosity drives her crazy. Her curiosity, her, her longing to know what is the value, what is the worth, that she goes and has it appraised. 
And the jeweler, he or she, pulls out the little jeweler thingy, whatever that thing is called, and begins to look at that piece of jewelry, that stone, in all of its beauty, in all of its intricacies, and has this deep breath overcome him. Has this pause before he even says something to the woman of what he's holding in his hand. He is beholding the beauty and the value of this stone and of this piece of jewelry. He then communicates it to this woman, and for the first time, she gets it. She gets the value of the stone and the piece of jewelry. That's what worship is. That's exactly what worship is when all of a sudden, and maybe it happened to you a long time ago and you just haven't experienced it again, but it's when we experience that beauty of God, that worth of God, that love of God, that holiness of God, maybe for the first time or maybe again and again and again, where we begin to ascribe to God the beauty, the worth, and the value that he's always had. See, the piece of jewelry always had the value and the beauty. It was the woman that was missing it. Worship is realizing the value of what you have. Looking at who God is, what he's done, and the value begins to set in on you. It begins to grow inside of you, and you, you, you can't seem to get enough of it. You, you marvel at that piece of jewelry. You want more of it. Lots of people believe in God. Lots of people believe in God. But what about worshiping God? What about ascribing value and worth to this God? Uh, it leads us to the second thing we want to look at is why. why. Why should we worship? And the reason why is because you're already worshiping something. Yes, you're already worshiping something. You're in San Francisco, I'm in San Francisco, I talk to lots of people, you talk to lots of people, and one of the phrases that we all hear is, well, I'm not that religious. Okay, you're not that religious, but you are a worshiper. And the reason why you are a worshiper is because God made all of us a worshiper. You are ascribing beauty and pleasure and fulfillment and joy to something. I hope you watched the Warriors game last night. That was an appropriate. <laughs> that was a righteous expression of, I'm sorry. You, you see that though, right? You, you, you understand that. It's, it's our humanity. I've been trying to do a little research here uh, on, the, on the internet and reading some medical journals and sociology journals and, and, and just trying to understand what is it about the human, about why we sing? What is it? And it's fascinating. It's beyond what I can even understand or even try to articulate here in the next few seconds. But there's such beautiful physiology, psychology, and sociology related to why you and I even sing. And one of the reasons this medical journal mentions is it's because you're curious about something. Think about channel surfing. right? You're in the car or you're on Apple Music, and you're in the little search bar there, and you, you, know, you want to try out today's favorites or what's trending, and uh, maybe listen to it for a second or two, and then you change it to something else. 
the sociologists and the psychologists would say, you're searching for some sort of pleasure that might react in your brain that keeps you listening for a little bit longer period of time. You might be tuning me out right now because I'm not interesting anymore. But it's part of how God's made us. Point is, you've been made for worship. You are a worshiper. That's not in question. The question is, who are you worshiping? Who is it that you will ascribe? Who is it that you will bow down to and worship? That's the real question. Who is it? Verse 3. I love verse 3. I love verse 3. The Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. David is not worshiping the sea god. He's not worshiping the mountain god. He's not worshiping the I hope it rains god. He's not worshiping any number of gods. And you say, well, of course, we're not primitive people either. We may not be worshiping those things either. We're going to draw off uh, one of my favorite writers, Tim Keller. He's a minister in New York City and he does a fantastic job, I believe, of helping us understand our Bibles that really tell us that we're all worshipers and we could be worshiping a little g God such as our image, our own image, my own reputation. Pleasure, how much fun I'm having. Family, how good my family is going or how my relationships are going. Basically, Tim Keller underscores what the Bible is already underscoring, is that we can make anything into a God. Anything. Anything into a God. We can begin to ascribe uh, attributes to it, and eventually we'll begin to give it money. (laughs) We'll begin to bow down to it, and we'll begin to expect that it does something for us and to us. But verse 3, he's basically calling us to transfer our worship from one thing On to another. Think with me right now. Don't drift. Focus. What is your worship on right now? And the psalmist is asking you to transfer it. Transfer whatever you prize. Whatever dream you have. Transfer it from that and place it on this great king. This God above any any gods. You remember the... uh, uh, I forget which movie exactly. I know it's Harry Potter. I don't know if it was the first or the second one. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. This is, this is not even a spoiler alert. A long time ago. Um, Harry Potter is looking at this mirror. Do you remember this scene? Or maybe you've read the books. And as he looks at this mirror, he basically um, does not see himself in the mirror. He sees his parents in the mirror. And he's, he's shocked. He's blown away, and, and he, he's befuddled at why would he... Are they on the back side of that thing? Is it truly a mirror? What's going on? He can't figure it out. So he calls his best friend, Ron Weasley, in to experience the same thing, thinking that Ron, too, will see his parents and validate Harry Potter's experience. Well, you know how the story goes. Ron Weasley does not see Harry Potter's parents. Ron Weasley sees himself as an athletic star. Hmm. Brain teaser. What is going on with this mirror? It's Harry Potter's mentor that comes in there and begins to express and explain to Harry what the mirror does is it reveals your deepest desires. That's the question for you and me as a worshiper. What is your deepest desire? What is it? 
Is it to be popular? Is it to be successful? Is it to be happy? Is it to be really good at what you do? Is it to be financially secure? And by the way, all of those things come at us from so many different uh, angles and realms all day long. You just ask me on a different day and I may tell you, yeah, all of that. We're being asked to transfer uh, our worship onto something else. And basically, uh, landing it on God is, is to realize that God's love is greater than any love I can ever experience in my marriage. And I'm experiencing a whole lot of love in my marriage. I'm so grateful. I'm so blessed. I've outmarried myself. I don't deserve the love that I get in my marriage. Yet if I'm not careful, I could begin to, as weird as it sounds, worship this marriage. Meaning find my ultimate identity in this marriage. And God is saying his love is greater. His love is forever. And for you, it might not be a relationship. It might be an unknown or uncertain future. It might be, where am I going to be living next week or next year? Or my story or narrative has gotten a little out of control, God, How about you show up and prove yourself to me? God is asking us all to transfer that love onto him. The last thing here is how. How how can we grow more skillfully in worshiping? Uh, Three quick things here. Number one, you need community. You need community. You need community. Eight times in these seven verses the plural form of an I is used. Look at it with me. Let us sing. Let us shout. Let us come with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel. God is our God. We are God's people. Yes, individual worship is great. It's unique. There's nothing like it. It's a must-have. It's an essential. It's a standard issue for the Christian person interacting with a personal God who knows you. Therefore, you are interacting and worshiping this God personally. That moment when you're in the shower, that moment when you're in the car, that moment when you're having your quiet time in the morning, middle of the day in a hectic environment, you're praying in your mind, not even out loud, You, through journaling, through singing, through writing, through going on a prayer walk, through just lying on the floor and letting God love you, being still and quiet, are you voraciously memorizing the scriptures? However, you meet with God. That's valid. That's unique. Yet, all of it is in preparation for our corporate gathering together. So that when we come together, it is a let us sing. Let us shout. Let us raise our hands and praise God. It's this volcano that's erupting. We've already said at the beginning of this sermon that we could be doing all of that and us not be worshiping God. That's possible. That's possible. That happens. 
What the psalmist is telling us is yes in your personal relationship where you're saying, this is my God. This is my king. This is my shepherd. You see that? It's happening for you during the week and you during the week and you during the week and you during the week so that when we get together, we come together. We sing to our great king together. We ascribe beauty and majesty and honor to this great God together. That's why I want to come to church. Not because church is a building. Church is a group of people. It's a community that gathers to celebrate and worship and grieve and strive together while clinging hold of good news together. Reminding each other of good news together. That's the first thing we need. We need community. Second thing we need is truth. I love that the psalmist does not say, you know, I like to think of God as a shepherd. I think I'll think of him that way. Hmm. That's pretty good. Uh, Again, San Francisco, uh, I love you. (laughs) Growing growing more and more and more in love with San Francisco. And, And what I get so often is, uh, you know, God, okay, uh, but, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of more into like sort of just, you know, sort of recreating sort of my own little kind of what I think about God. Um, be careful. Be, be careful to, uh, to, to go down that path because what, what we end up doing with a la carte, sort of our Bibles, a la carte, you know, this part of God is good, but not that part. We end up, if we're not careful, creating our own image of who we think God is. And notice that the psalmist is not saying, I kind of like to think of him as a shepherd. No, no. God himself calls himself a shepherd. I will guide you. I'm able to guide you. I know your future. I'm competent. You're not. Follow me. Then willful submission sets in. Maybe an argument with God. Maybe an honest conversation with God. But in that relationship, there's a transfer of trust where I really need truth. I need a God who's going to argue with me. I need a God who's going to put me in my place. I need a God who's going to call certain things, not necessarily things I do, but the way I think. I need a God that would call some of those things sinful and begin to reshape how I think, and how we do what we do with our money, sexuality, politics, the way we love people, the way we treat our city. We need truth. Uh, lastly, we need, we need the Spirit. We just baptized our brother Hao Zong in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This triune God, this three in one, three different persons of the same God, letting us know that God is Father. We can relate to this God as Father, who's our maker. We can relate to this God as our Savior, this great King, this champion, this one who lived a perfect life on my behalf, who who died a death on my behalf. 
And we can worship the Holy Spirit, who is God and is present inside of you, the life of a believer. It's profound, it's mysterious, it's beautiful. We need the Spirit. He says, uh, it's the Spirit that's, that's going to help you feel God's presence. You know that time when you come into worship either individually or corporately and you just feel, I can't even express necessarily what that feels like, but there really is a unique personal experience of God is present in this place. God is present with me right now. I felt that at the beach earlier this week. Uh, there's no necessarily magic place. It's not like we can go to these coordinates and, hey, everybody meet up here at this certain time. And, or we can't create and craft a certain worship service. And, hey, if you come, you'll get God's presence because he's here only because we said he'd be here. It doesn't work that way. God is mysterious and us getting to experience and feel this presence of God. But being at the beach, hearing the waves, hearing them crash, looking out as far as I could see, and then it gets a little foggy, but just being overcome with this great king of all nations, our Lord, our maker, he holds the oceans, the mountains, I don't understand it, God. I love you. I want to love you. I want to know you. Those beautiful times of meeting with God, feeling God's presence, that's the invitation, isn't it? That's the invitation that the psalmist is doing, isn't it? Come into his presence. Come. Won't you come? Won't you come get you some? Won't you come experience this? Sailors are very skillful. Been around San Francisco Bay Area here. They're very, very skillful, but they can't make the wind come. Doggone it. Can't make it happen. Worship is like that. We don't make God's presence come. God's presence is here. Being a skillful sailor, they know how to respond when the wind comes. A worshiper of Jesus knows how to respond when God's presence is there. Take full advantage of it. Come let us kneel. Come let us bow down before the Lord our maker. A great God, a great king above all gods. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to show us how to respond. And as we've been in different places around the world, or or maybe we've seen videos of of different Jesus followers around the world and, and how different those worship expressions are. Father, teach us as San Franciscans, what what does it look like to come before you with singing and shouting and dancing? What does it look like for us in the privacy of our own soul to ascribe beauty and honor that's due your name? Help us. Help us transfer our trust. Help us transfer our worship from so many other things and transfer them onto you. 
Father, we delight in you. We love you. We, we worship you. And right now, in our own soul, we, we bow down to you. And as we're bowed in front of you, our great king, you're not here to harm us. You're not even here to take from us or steal something from us. Rather, you're here to give us freedom. And you want to replace fear with confidence. You, you want to replace anxiety with peace. You want to replace confusion with certainty. You want to replace unknown with trust. Do that in these moments as we meet with you at moments from now as we celebrate uh, communion together, the Lord's Supper together, celebrating your grace. Hear our prayers right now.